It is very much like the song recorded in Luke chapter 1. Mary sings a hallelujah chorus also. I'd like to read that with you this morning, Luke 1, beginning with verse 46, when Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That's Mary's song. Maybe she's 14, 15, 16, and pregnant, and she sings. Her song bellows out of the hill country in Judea in a little unnamed village in the Bible, so unknown it doesn't have a name. Here she is, maybe 14 years old and pregnant with the divine child from wherever you came this morning if you think you had problems. 14 and pregnant with God. She goes to talk with Elizabeth and tells Elizabeth, her cousin, I've been met by a messenger. The Bible calls it overshadowed from the Most High. God has a plan, and, and now I'm part of it. And she sings a song, 14 and pregnant. Now Elizabeth has her own story. Elizabeth is one of those barren women in Israel. Israel is so full of them. The Old Testament records many women with closed wombs. And here is Elizabeth now in her old age. All of her life she's wanted a baby. Now... Married to Zechariah, living in the countryside, now when she can't bend and run and survive on five hours of sleep per night, now Elizabeth has her own bursting belly and has sang her own song. Two women in the hill countries who console one another and they sing. From the middle of nowhere comes Mary's hallelujah song. You know, I, I, I'm sure I wouldn't react this way. I believe I'd have a knockdown drag out with God, at least for the minimum. I'd have a tantrum, throw something, hit something, maybe say, no, thank you, God. But Mary sings. I take note of singing people. I don't know if it's being raised in the church where I hear music and singing people everywhere I go. Actually, the Gospel of Luke, Luke takes note of singing people. In the first two chapters, count how many songs are recorded there. I was sitting at a Greasy Spoon diner a few weeks ago doing some of my studying. That's, Greasy Spoon means the IHOP. Sitting at the IHOP, reading about Luke chapter 2, and from the middle of nowhere in the far back of the restaurant, in front of the griddle, the cook who's flipping pancakes begins to sing. And he chooses not something simple, but, oh, holy night, the night when Christ was born, oh, night, oh, he doesn't know the meter, he doesn't know the rhythm, he doesn't know the tune, but he sings. And actually, the kitchen paused and applauded him his very sad song. From the middle of nowhere in the back of the room, he's singing. Mary sings, and if you read and listen to her song this morning with me, I wonder if you notice what I notice. When Mary sings, it is highly personal and very specific. When Mary sings, she says, my soul, my God, that you've looked on me, you've been merciful to me, a humble servant, a lowly servant, your translation might say. That word lowly or humble probably has less to do with Mary being humble and a lot more to do with Mary being poor, poverty. 
You've looked on me, a person in poverty. That means I'm nothing in this world. I have nothing in this world. And here I find myself in your favor. It's a very specific and personal song that comes out of Mary when she thanks God for changing her life forever. Thank you for choosing me, which I take to mean less about honored position of being the mother of God and more about Thank you, God, that you've come to rescue me because, my, did I need a God. That's the song Mary sings from the middle of nowhere, but it's over that quickly, all about her. She's done. If you read now with me in verse 50, Mary moves from her own personal situation to everyone else's. Verse 50, his his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones, and he's lifted up the humble, those in poverty. He's filled the hungry with goods, but he's sent away the rich empty, and he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. When Mary sings, she sings for herself, and then she sings for everyone else. The text says, from generation to generation, she broadens her lens, and and now her song is for us, too. Those of you who have returned from college, maybe for the holidays, if you took this little passage of Luke and submitted it to turnitin.com, it wouldn't survive the plagiarism rules on your campus because Luke has used phrases and ideas and language that's so familiar to Israel. He doesn't pause like Matthew does, and Matthew would say, now let me quote the Old Testament, and then he quotes the Old. Luke just buries inside the text rich with phrases that mean something to Israel. Our merciful God with his strong arm who scatters people, the humble and the proud, gives good things. And everyone knows what Mary's talking about with the language, the mighty deeds of a merciful God. Mary's song is for everybody. When Mary sings, it's personal, but it's also universal. It's quite political, by the way. And when Mary sings, it's very honest. I'm, I'm going to call it, there, she has a theology of status that's very honest when Mary sings. When she says, God will bring down the proud and lift up the humble, all she's saying is, God will let those of you know who think you're more important than the others that you're really not. And those of you who think you don't matter, God will let you know that you really do. Mary in her prophetic song has a a leveling theology, a theology of status that's not only helpful for the people in her time, but for you and I today. Because status is a very fragile thing. Ask Hollywood. My, ask any major sports team. Ask baseball right now about status. Ask someone who's been retired now for a couple of weeks what it was to be the CEO and now to sort of slip into retirement where your phone doesn't ring and nobody knocks on your door. Status is a fragile thing in our world, and Mary is very clear. She cuts through all of that when she says, you powerful people aren't going to be able to help yourselves, and and you poor people aren't going to have to worry about helping yourselves. You're all in this together. One thing all humans have in common is we struggle to survive. That's what Mary's song is about. You all struggle to survive, and I just want you to know you are being rescued. 
Mary has a way of making us all, even at the Christmas holiday like this, if you've just walked into the church for the first time all year, it doesn't matter, Mary's song says to you, in God's eyes, on this one Sabbath day out of this year, you matter as much as the people who come here every week and pay tithes and offerings. Mary's song is quite honest about the theology of status. Everyone needs to be rescued, and Mary wants us to get that. Everyone. I pulled a Christmas card letter from some files this week. This one came in the mail two to three years ago. It came from a relative. I can't blame this on any of your relatives. I unrolled it. I'd forgotten. The one of those long, you know, the long ones that tells all the trips and all the relatives and who's begat to who. In this letter, it was describing a holiday meal from the previous year where everyone was seated around the table and something traumatic happened. While they were eating, someone began to choke on their food. And, and the per person writing the letter was so grateful that there was a guest around the table who, who knew the hemlock maneuver. <laughs> I read it again. It's so good we know the hemlock maneuver. Because we can save ourselves with the hemlock maneuver. Mary's letting us know you think you can save yourselves. Proud, well-positioned people. God doesn't care about a bank account or a job description. God doesn't care how well-learned we are, how well-traveled we are. God doesn't care if we're working on our sinlessness and we got it pretty good this week. Every human needs rescue and we can't do it alone. When Mary sings, her song is for all of us. When Mary sings, notice, uh, she sings in the past tense. Did you catch that in the verses there? God has lifted the poor. God has fed the hungry. God has challenged the proud. God has dethroned the rulers. Mary sings at a time when nothing is different in her world. Mary sings as if God has already accomplished all of this. Yet when Mary traveled to see Elizabeth, there's very real danger on the road. She could die. When she goes home, she could be stoned to death for being 14 and pregnant. People will go to bed hungry that night when Mary lays down to sleep. And, and if she wasn't looking, Rome still rules and oppresses. Yet Mary sings as if God has already done all of this. If I was Elizabeth, I might be asking, Mary, little girl, do we live in the same world? Because you're talking about a transformed world I haven't experienced yet. Yet Mary sings. Mary and, and Elizabeth gives us a clue to that. Before Mary's song begins, Elizabeth says of Mary, you are highly favored because you believe. You believe God will keep God's promises. So Mary believes it so much, she's so excited about it, she can feel it, she leans into God's intervention, it's so evident to her. She has a vision for where God's world is headed, so much so that she knows how to jump into it and pull the rest of us in. She knows the child growing inside of her is part of that transformed new world, and so she sings, it's already happened, it is in the past tense for Mary, it's, it's what some people have called intervention by incarnation. I like that line. Or the great divine cleanup, Mary says. It's already happened. Just look again. You'll see. God is merciful to all of us. When Mary sings, she sings with a confidence that it's already happened. 
Notice also when Mary sings that she finds other people who sing. That she goes to someone else who's also been overshadowed by the Most High. Someone else who is thinking about God or looking for God. When Mary decides to sing, she finds Elizabeth. Because singing people need to be with other singing people. Like our worship leaders here on the platform, those of you who are regular members, what a blessing to see all of them together today. They're usually on separate teams. Isn't it great to see them all together? It should be like that every week. Singing people need other singing people. It gives us a little balance and perspective. And on some days when my song is not so strong, not as grounded in faith, I can look to another singing person and I can have what I need for today. Singing people need to be among other singing people. Not stay there. The song is always intended to go out. But if you're trying to sing a hallelujah song about God and with God, you might do well to surround yourself with some other singing people. My husband's been singing since he was a toddler. He started with the Portland Boys Choir, this fabulous group, and he toured a lot, kept singing through high school and college, and he tells me that one particular time in, a, in high school, they were gathered in a church setting very much like this with the choir scattered behind the preacher, and for some reason, he decided to fall asleep during the sermon, of all things, during the sermon. It's long and boring, he says. Just took a nap, fell asleep, peaceful. He was jarred awake when he realized everyone was standing him around him and it was time for the last anthem for the choir to sing. And he, here he was, asleep. So he stood up, you know how that groggy, you know, almost wakefulness stages, and he stood up, you know, wiping his eyes and trying to find out if he had a voice under there, and everybody's singing, and, and it wasn't until the choir director was pointing a finger straight at him, he'd forgotten he had a solo. <laughs> this is a big finale after a long, boring sermon. You're it, and you're on, and he's just realized, shoot. <laughs> the song is about sheep and shepherds, and that's all he could remember, so he came up with every sheep shepherd line he'd ever heard. The sheep are wandering, the sheep are laying, the shepherd watches the sheep from morning to night, the shepherd never leaves the sheep. <laughs> the director's mouth was up through the whole song. I have no idea what you're saying. Just keep singing got through the song. You surround yourself with people who know what the song is. Oh, it's about sheep and shepherds, and you just keep going, and pretty soon you're singing a song too. Singing people need to be with other singing people, friends. We need each other. Mary reminds us when she runs to Elizabeth that singing people need one another. And when we do that, I think our strength together is that we are able to sing these songs that remind us God keeps God's promises. It is the theme of the Old Testament. It's the theme of Luke 1 and 2. It's what Luke is working on. It's what Mary's working on. Israel's been waiting for God to fulfill the promises, and it's not happened. A promise and a, a partial fulfillment, and the promise gets frustrated through Abraham and Sarah, through the reign of the kings, the monarchy, which didn't last very long, through the prophets. And now here we come to Mary, who's got this little divine child in her belly, and she sings because she realizes God is keeping God's promise right now, as I sing with you, singing people need other singing people so we can remind one another of a God who keeps promises. 
Mary, the prophet, the worshiper, the mother of Jesus, knows we need to be rescued. She knows it's not easy for a lot of us to accept being rescued. She knows what's growing inside of her is the fulfillment of all those years. We sing it in the hymn, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus tonight. Can you sing that song with Mary? Can Calamesa sing that song with Mary? Wherever you've come from today, whatever you go home to when you leave after the holidays, whatever ever it is, did you realize there is more hope available for you than you could have ever imagined? Sing with Mary. Sing with Mary. I was driving the girls home from school when they were little, and I didn't realize that the teacher had given Elisa a piece of candy, and she was in the first grade, and it's a piece of hard candy, and we all know, don't we, parents? Little children and hard candy, don't do it. We're driving along, and my daughter looks over at me, and she's not breathing. And I didn't realize what was happening until she's starting to choke in front of my eyes. And the parental instinct kicks in, and I pulled off the road quickly. I got out of the car so fast, I threw my keys about 10 feet away from the car, went around to the other side of the car, grabbed her out, turned her over with this carefully measured thumping on the back of her, thumped and thumped and thumped, and all through my head, all I can think about is she's going to die right in front of my eyes. She's choking right in front of my eyes. Thump, 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 and out popped a piece of candy. And everybody breathed. And I asked Elisa about that today. Do you remember the time when you choked on the candy and you just about died in the front seat? Were you afraid? She says, Mommy, I think you were more afraid. And I see God in that. Because humans aren't so wise about the situation we find ourselves in. Just a little bit naive, just a little bit self-serving, just a little bit thinking we can do this without rescue. And I wonder what it is for God to look at us on, on this Christmas and realize you're choking on candy. Would you just let me rescue you? I could do that. You have rescue in this world. Hope beyond what you dared imagine for. Mary asks us all, will we let God do that? And so go in peace with the song of Mary on your lips. My soul magnifies my God, for he is rescuing us. Amen.